Good morning. That was pretty robust. Thank you for that. So uh, if you missed last week, uh, I'm still Dave Shear. Um, and uh, it's my, my very deep honor, um, though a, a bit of a challenge, to uh, come behind uh, Pastor Guy in his retirement and serve as your interim uh, pastor. And so I'm very, very grateful to be with you. I, I feel like it's an honor to uh, receive your trust in this moment. And so hooray for you. And, uh, and thank you so much for that. So, so indeed, uh, Susan and I live up in Arvada and uh, our family, uh, our two daughters live in the area and our three grandkids live in the area. And so uh, this feels, in a way, like a homecoming to us, to be able to be with uh, one of our Covenant sister churches. I was at Christ Community Covenant Church, just up the road here a little bit off of uh, Sims, uh, for 18 years. And so Guy and I created a beautiful friendship during that time as as co-pastors of uh, sister covenant churches, and and so uh, it's a very deep honor and, and a bit daunting to follow in guy's footsteps so we i won't try very hard i'll we'll just walk our path together how about that so that's going to be a good thing so um i wanted to invite you into a couple of things uh number one in a moment we'll be in the scriptures and we're going to be in second timothy can you see where that is in your bible it is way in the back and it's actually not a very long book. And so it may take between now and about 15 minutes from now when we're going to be in Second Timothy that it might take that long to find it. You'll find it tucked away with a bunch of other Bibles, uh, chapters that start with the letter T. First and Second Thessalonians. Well, yeah, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus. So if you find the T books, you're close. All right. So we're going to do that. And then the other thing I wanted to alert you to is that uh, this week we will kind of close this mini-series out on on change and, and biblical leadership transition because that's what we're doing right now. We're trying to do that as best we know how. And so inviting God into our, our this new place that we find ourselves in here at Applewood. And so um, we'll finish that up today. And that means next week we'll be launching a study into the book of Philippians. And I'm hoping that's a fun book for you. It's a very joyful book and a beautiful study, and I think it'll have some wonderful words for us. So we'll, we'll dive deep and spend, um, depending on how it goes, uh, six to eight weeks in working our way through Philippians. So I invite you, you can read ahead if you want. Feel free. to If you want to be on my good side, feel free to read ahead. So that's all good. All right, let's pray. So indeed, Father, you are very gracious to us. You're very kind, and we're we're so grateful uh, for this fellowship and for your love for us. Father, we, we ask for your blessing this morning as uh, the message comes out. I pray your blessing. But Father, we are thinking of the week before us. Father, in, in our bulletin this morning, we see that, that um, we have some, some members of our congregation that we want to be disciplined in praying for. So we work our way through the week and we pray for Cheryl and Doug Johnson, we pray for Matt Jones, we pray for Kirsten and Mia and Kara, 
We pray, Father, for the Kiters, the Cassie and Vic, and we also think of of uh, Rachel and, and Justin and Emmeline, Father. Thank you for their work in uh, youth ministry. Father, for uh, Katie and Jimmy Lee and Morgan and Harper, we are praying happy birthdays over Francis and Tim. Father, we pray for Susan and Dennis. Father, these are members of our congregation we love. We pray your blessing upon them. We pray your equipping. We do not know exactly what their stories are, but we know, Father, from the human condition, they need you. So we pray your blessing upon them. We also think of our fellow churches uh, here in the Applewood area. We think of Applewood Baptist and uh, Derek James, who is the pastor there. We think of Applewood Valley United Methodist for Angie and I'm Angie, I can't hardly pronounce your last name, so I'm not going to try to, Angie. But we, we pray, Father, for these churches in our area, that they would be true to your word, that they would be strong uh, beacons of light and truth in our neighborhood. We love our neighbors, and we long for them to know you. We don't really care what church they go to as long as they know you in spirit and in truth. That makes me think of my old church, Christ Community Covenant Church, and Brian McClure, who is starting his first Sunday as the new pastor uh, of Christ Community Covenant Church. And so we pray a blessing upon them this morning as well. So, Father, be with your church around the world that has already confessed you and celebrated you in much of the world, and now we do here today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Thank you. So uh, last week we learned some things, a little bit, about transition, biblical transition. We've, we discovered, for one thing, that um, it's not uncommon. It, it, it's fairly real. It happens all the time. turns out that change is happening all the time. We can't stop it. It's kind of funny. Psychologists will tell us that change in and of itself can feel like loss even when the change is good. Isn't that interesting? That change in and of itself can feel like an emotional or spiritual loss, even when the change is good. For instance, when I was a young uh, boy, uh, I was six, my brother was eight, my sister was ten. And my dad bought his first car, a 1960 Ford station wagon, white, white sidewalls, Dad was very, very proud of that car. Drove it home. He thought he got a great deal on it. He worked hard to get a great deal. Dad told us later. I was six, so what do I know? And Dad drove up in that car, and the kids came out, and we began crying. <laughs> what happened to our car? We don't like it. Make it go away. And my dad, I think, uh, took my brother out for sure. And I feel like I might have been next on his list. That, that was a really nice car. Dad was proud of that car. And change was hard. I, I, I don't even remember what we were driving. I know that at one point in time we had a 50, 56 Volkswagen. But, but uh, this was the state of the art. I think we had air conditioning. I, you know, it was like, wow, this is great. And, and it was not familiar. And the kids didn't like it. And so... Change can feel like loss even when the change is good. So, so we need to kind of keep that in mind as we go through change here and as we 
reorient ourselves to what our new normal is. So we have to keep those kinds of things in mind. We have to remember when we think of change and we think of loss, we have to take a step back and say, what kind of loss is it? What kind of loss is it really? Because sometimes, sometimes it's a loss of preference. That's what it was for us. It was just a loss of preference or familiarity. And so it wasn't really a big deal. We actually had a new car to climb in and enjoy. But the loss of familiarity, the loss of preference seemed real in the moment. There's also kind of a loss of convenience. Sometimes that's it. You know, this is harder. This this change makes things different for me, and it's not as convenient as it used to be. And so it's perceived as loss. But you know what? Here's what's interesting. God never promised us our preferences. He didn't promise us that life would always be familiar. He certainly didn't promise that it would be convenient. In fact, for the most part, he has said, life is hard. In the world, you'll have troubles. But he said, take heart. I've overcome these troubles, but he didn't say the troubles would go away. Our preferences, our things that are familiar, the conveniences that we grow accustomed to, we, we need to be careful of putting too much hope in those things because those are not the promises of God. No, instead, what God promises us is, is purpose and community. He promises love and forgiveness in the Old Testament, we were reading uh, a little bit from the Old Testament last week. I want to take us to Genesis chapter 12, quite a ways back. Because Abram, before he became renamed as Abraham, God, God called him. Right? Remember that? In Genesis chapter 12, God called him in order to make a nation out of his descendants to the glory of the Godhead. And he said to Abram, you are to leave your land, your relatives, and your father's house and go to the land that I'm going to show you. So we don't know how Abram felt. But he just left his familiarity. He just left his conveniences. He just left, you know, his preferences, perhaps. I'm going to call you out of there and I'm going to send you somewhere else for my purposes. So Abram's job was to trust and obey and to put aside the preferences and the conveniences and the sense of familiarity for the higher purposes of God's design. So that's a good template for us, isn't it? To be thinking through what it means to be mm, open, I guess, to the plan of God. So Abraham obeyed, and I'm going to say that Pastor Guy and I do not run in the faith circle of the ancient patriarchs, we are probably not that great, but uh, he and I both recently, uh, after deep prayer, sensed the prompting of God that our work in our churches was done in this role. And while it might have been convenient or familiar or, or even our preference to stay, God asked us to trust and obey and to go even without knowing. And so I'm grateful for a guy in Charisse's 
trust and their faith and their obedience. And I'm grateful for the new chapter that you find yourself in because of their obedience. You want to follow behind someone who is being obedient. It's good work. So, so we're going to continue in this examination of what we've learned about transition. We've, we've also learned, I think, by experience, and we talked about it a little bit last night, we, we know that God loves his church and that God has been doing leadership transition for a long time. You remember, we talked about that with Moses and Joshua. We talked about it with the, the various kings of Israel and even the transition between um, Jesus and the apostles, the disciples, when Jesus ascended and all of a sudden, okay, your job now, go get them. And so God has been loving the church and his believers for a long time by raising up diligent leaders and faithful followers. So I want to move us on from some of that remembering that we've done and actually remember even better when things change or get hard, God asks us to remember. So somewhere in the back of your bulletin, there's, some, there's an empty page. And if you wanted to, you could pull out a pen and you could write things down. Some people say that if you write things down, it's easier to remember them. And so, um, so you might, you might practice that. Or if you've got your Bible, you can open that up and, and write it in the, in the side or the back of your Bible. When things change or get hard, God asks us to remember. Let me, let me kind of prove my point by going into the Old Testament. And let's just look at some verses together where God exhorts us to remember, and not just remember, not just remember old things, but to remember his faithfulness and his character. When things get hard or begin to change, God's asked us to remember him. So let's look at some of these together. He says in Deuteronomy, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Don't be careful. Be careful not to forget the Lord in Deuteronomy 8. Uh, your God, by failing to keep his commandments and ordinances and statutes, he's asking us in that previous verse to trust and this word to obey. Uh, uh, these ordinances and statutes which I am giving to you. Remember the wonders he has done, his marvels and the judgments he has pronounced. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? Isn't that a great habit to go back and remember the goodnesses of God? in the midst of change, kind of in the midst of a hard day, maybe in the middle of the night when the evil one wants to whisper sad things to you, maybe that's a great time to remember the good things that the Lord has done and given. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him, even as we were just singing. Wisdom and power, glory. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Forget not his benefits. So God is asking us to remember, remembering him, his deeds, and not only his deeds, but his character, his attributes. We remember who he is and we rehearse it in our mind, his grace and truth, his power and honor and glory, his majesty, his dominion. We remember that he is the God of all things, and those all things include me. So I can be grateful. And remembering does us a lot of good. So if, uh, if looking back 
is a good idea, then we remember that Moses was dead. We read about that last way. Moses got himself dead. And uh, it says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Be, and, and it says, be strong and very courageous to Joshua and to the nation. I want you to be strong and very courageous. Don't, don't be afraid. Only be strong and very courageous. So I, those are words the churches could use in the 21st century. Coming off the pandemic, coming off the, the attack that the world is kind of on us. This is a time to be steadfast, to be true to God's commands, even as he commanded us in the Old Testament, to be remembering all who God is and what God has done, to walk in a manner worthy of his call upon our life. So this is actually a really great moment for Applewood community, a great moment to shine and to stand strong and to be firm. In fact, the title of this sermon is uh, Focus Church, Focus. Focus. Don't get distracted, church. So, so, that's our hope today, is to not be afraid. It takes courage to face life and all the hard left turns. It turns out that life is indeed relentless, change is ever-present, but just because it's common doesn't make it easy. Very common, change is happening all the time, and all the time I don't like it. So it takes courage, and we need to not be afraid, and we need to persevere in doing good because we will reap a harvest if we do not grow weary. And if you're like me, I want a harvest. Not a little. I want it all. Everything that's been set aside for me and for this church, I want it all. So there are no shortcuts to perseverance and fearlessness, but there is a key to success. And that is obedience. When we obey his command and we discover that our preferences and our familiarities and conveniences are challenged, I can, by obedience, release a fearlessness and a perseverance in me that will allow me to sustain my walk. So those come as a, as a set, I think, obedience and fearlessness and perseverance. So let's go ahead and turn our attention uh, to our passage in 2 Timothy. Did you find it? Did you find it? Some of you, all you have to do is tap it into your phone, and it's easy. That's cheating. Just saying. But um, I want to take us to this transition that's happening between the life of Paul, the Apostle Paul, and his very good friend, whom he calls his son, because Timothy is a... Uh, a disciple, really, of, of Paul's. He led Timothy to, to Christ, and Timothy has joined him on his missionary journeys, and, and uh, Paul is like a father to Timothy. Now, when Paul writes this, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, so you can find it, hustle around. And at this moment, there are uh, three or so chapters left in Paul's life. This is the last book he ever wrote, and there's just a few chapters left before Paul will be beheaded in Rome. 
These are important words that he's sharing with his, his dear son. And Paul knows that the, the, the baton of leadership, as you see on the front of your bulletin, the baton of leadership right here, right now, in this moment, is at risk of being dropped. If, if the baton drops here between Paul and the apostles and the next generation of leadership, it all stops here. So the passing of this baton is hugely important, as it is, of course, in every generation, because it's true every time, every time the calendar passes. The passing of the leadership baton is critical. So we're going to discover that Paul has this very much in his mind to his disciple Timothy uh, about what it means to transition well, what it means to lead well. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, and let me just see if I can. It's a little dark right here. My eyes aren't great, but let me just see if I can find it here. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men. So doesn't that sound like kind of a, um, uh, a template for leadership? What you've seen in me. Now I need you to put it on yourself and then mentor that for even younger people. Paul, Paul sees the need for generation upon generation equipping one another for the work of the church. So you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then these powerful words, I think. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He uses that illustration. Then he goes on. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And then another, he, it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in all of this. So then he says, you need to think about this for a while. Med- meditate on these little stories and see if you can't apply an application for your life. So, uh, I don't want to take that from you. You should go home and meditate on these things. But I got a couple of ideas. So we'll go ahead and unpack those a little bit. See, what I'm seeing here is that Paul is trying to prepare Timothy, and he's also warning Timothy a little bit about some things that might be stumbling blocks to his leading well and serving well into the church, into the next generation. And he's telling, he's telling his friend Tim, don't be distracted. Be careful that you not be disqualified. And don't be discouraged. Because apparently, leadership is hard. And so he's trying to refresh his memory to keep his focus. Focus, Tim. Focus. And so he uses the illustration of the soldier that in his ministry he ought not to become distracted. No soldier gets entangled, it says in verse 4, in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The soldier takes orders and the soldier delivers those orders purposefully to bring glory to the cause of their endeavor, to bring victory. And so... 
We don't want distracted soldiers. I don't want soldiers looking at their phones when, when there's stuff to do. Okay, get off your phone. There's things to do. Oh, okay. The enemy is right over there. Get off your phone. All right, good point. Don't be distracted. He also challenges Timothy to not be, to be careful to not be disqualified. He says in verse 5, an athlete is not crowned, doesn't get the little wreath of, of, of leaves and gets first place unless he or she competes according to the rules. So that's another standard that, that leaders must lead by. They don't get to cut corners and go outside the boundaries in order to accomplish what they think will bring them honor. They live according to the rules. I live according to the principles that are found in here. I really don't care what the culture tells me. The culture tends to move every 25 to 50 years. Maybe it's less than that now. And so if I take my hint, my walking papers from the culture, I'm going to lose my way quite quickly. This is my true north. By keeping my eyes here, I can make my way through a disqualifying culture who may ask me to compromise my integrity for the purpose of some goal. That'd be wrong. So God is asking us to not be distracted and to be careful that we not become disqualified because it's all about enduring to the end, isn't it? It's about persevering. So those are a couple things he says, but then he goes on to share one more story. He says, he says it's the hardworking farmer in verse 6 who ought to have the first share of the crops. And I see that as a, as a warning against discouragement. That your, your hard work will pay off. If we do not grow weary, we will indeed reap a harvest. So God is asking us together to set our eyes on Jesus, to focus, doesn't he? So that's the looking backward piece. I want to look forward a little bit more because uh, Paul has more to say to Timothy. Let's go ahead and go from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to read those first four verses in that chapter because Paul's turning his attention. So it might, maybe it's crossed your mind. What kind of, what kind of pastor should we have here moving forward? We have one very heroic and faithful example in Guy and Charissa, but, but what should it look like moving forward? Are we hiring for the church that we were or are we hiring for the church that we are becoming? The church that God has set aside. What are we looking for? Someone uh, tall and good-looking, in which case uh, I, I'm, I'm disqualified. So that's that's all, that's all right. That's all right. I wasn't going to be your pastor anyway. Um, are we looking for someone smart, someone funny, someone musical, someone sort of all of that? What are we looking for? Paul says to Timothy, "Here, let me help you with that." Paul, God says to us. Applewood, let me help you with that. Let me share with you what you're looking for so that you don't get distracted, so that you can focus, church. Focus. He says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. That puts a pretty high uh, stake right there. Um, and by his appealing and his kingdom, here he goes. This is what you ought to be looking for. He says to Timothy, preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready to rebuke, rebuke, excuse me, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is interesting, isn't it? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having their itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teacher to suit their own passions. People, people want to be told what they want to believe. Have you seen that to be true? We, we watch Fox News or CNN, depending on whether we're right or left, and hear what we want to hear. And, that, and reinforce what I believe to be true. And then I can look at you and say, well, you listen to Fox or you listen to CNN and you're not, you don't have the right, right? Well, we do that. I don't like that. I don't like that we want our ears itch to be told what is true in my heart rather than letting this define what is true. And so Paul says, be careful. The world's going to want to be told what they want to believe. You'll be able to build a, a very successful congregation, so to speak, Timothy, if you give them what they want. might be harder if you give them what I want. They're saying, be careful. Preach the word in and out of season, he says. He says um, they're going to turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We see that, right? It's happening right in front of our eyes. Crazy things people will believe. As for you, Tim, verse 5, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, for the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And then he does this, I think, very tender little self-disclosure right here. I feel like he put his pen down and took a deep breath and then wrote this. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure have come, fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. Who wants more than that? That'd be great. Someone would say that of me someday. I would be satisfied. So isn't that what we want? We want that in our leadership Frankly, we want that in our followership. We want to be that enduring, faithful congregation. So, we have to focus. We have to focus, but then the problem is, so what are we focusing on exactly? Am I, am I focusing on my to-do list? Is it the plan? I haven't heard anything about the transition. I haven't seen anything about a plan. I need a plan. Do you? Is a plan going to help you really? Now, I already know the leadership team is working on a plan. So be comforted. But is, is that what we're focusing on? Are we focusing on the plan, our to-do list, the calendar? What are we focusing on? For goodness sakes, we want to make sure that our eyes are in the right place, right? And that we're doing this together. Can I, can I offer us a place to focus? Let's try this. In Hebrews chapter 12. The writer says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. And He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's a good place to set our eyes. Let's do that. Let's pray. So indeed, Father, our hearts, our eyes, our passions, their fears. Father, our concerns, our preferences, conveniences. Father, we, we recognize they may fail us. Most likely will. So instead we go to the one true God, the triune Godhead who has our best interests and His glory in mind. So indeed, Father, This morning and onward, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy before Him, despising the shame, endured the cross, and has been honored above all names, all kings, all lords. And it is on Him that we fix our hopes. In Jesus' name, Amen.